everyone, welcome to the final episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast for the year, episode 41. We are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby, real, family, friendly, and positive. Get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. So, Ando, we've got to the end of the season. We've gone to the end of the rugby. It's been a whole year. It's pretty been a pretty ridiculous year. I mean, you and I identified a need in the media landscape for Aussie rugby early in the year. We jumped on in, what, about three or four rounds into the Super Rugby season? Yeah, the original and Super Rugby season. The original Super Rugby, even before COVID lockdown. And we've gone fairly strong, only missing one week, I yeah. think, since then, which is pretty bloody exciting. So, well done. I know. We've got there. And this has probably been the longest year of rugby to, to date. Yeah. We started the yeah. earliest of... Yep. We started Super Rugby the earliest it's ever started in mm-hmm. the end of January and we're playing test matches in December, so... Which is just crazy. incredible. And to think we, what, recorded the first two in person together, yep. then went into lockdown, so we did all of them remotely. Then we had one together about midway through the season yep. and now we're doing this final one in person as well. Yeah. So let me just state, we currently have roadworks going on on the main road outside Mitch's apartment. And uh, one of the um, other apartments is currently blasting some music. So hopefully our mics are deadening <laughs> everything. But uh, yeah, apologies we'll do, if something we'll comes We'll do some, uh, some tricky editing stuff yep. and hopefully it sounds all right. <laughs> but if you hear anything in the background, that's what it is. Yep. Cool. So uh, what we're going to do tonight, we will... Uh, we're going to do a wrap-up of the Tri-Nation, so it's a bit of a review. We'll go through each individual team and how we thought they went. We'll chat about some positives of the players who we thought stood out, maybe some players who didn't do quite so well. Um, we've also got some spicy news to talk about as well to dive into. And, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So um, before we move on to the new segment, Endo, what are our social media platforms? That's a great question. Well, you can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So Instagram is hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast. And then on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Now, one quick thing I want to say, technically, this is the last podcast of the year that's going to be talking specifically about rugby. That's right. Um, we are actually going to be recording another podcast with Nick Wasiliev, who is involved with green and gold rugby he is actually an author has just produced his debut novel when men cry and it's a fantastic look into the mental health space for young men and i've read it and absolutely devoured it in one sitting and i've passed it on to mitch and he's going to be reading it before we have a chat with nick so keep an eye out in the next week or two for that interview that discussion obviously it's not particularly rugby related but nick is pretty well connected within the rugby community with his work on green and gold rugby and he we also just think it's something that it does affect young men significantly as in issues with mental health and the kind of social stigma around communicating about how you're going and we just thought it'd be something that's a valuable opportunity to talk about so keep your ears out Keep your eyes out for it and take a listen when that comes up in the next week or two. Cool. Sounds good. Well, before we get into that one, we will wrap up the season and we will finish off on our rugby sort of view uh, in this podcast. So, let's. Um, I think that's enough for, yep. for now. Let's dive into the news. Let's get in. And now we get to our spicy news for the evening. And really the most important piece of news that we're going to start with is the Rugby World Cup draw for 2023 has been announced. And Australia has 
again being drawn in the same pool as Wales and Fiji. What are the chances? Some of you might know if you're better at maths than I am, but it's it's pretty crazy. Mitch, what was your first thought upon seeing the draw for the World Cup? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I, I've got to admit, I'm pretty happy with this one. I think I think we've got a good chance now of topping that pool. Uh, Wales mm. and Fiji. Wales haven't been doing so well this year, so they're probably on the the downward trajectories, similar to us at, at the, the current time. I mean, Fiji's moving up as well, but I'm happy with this pool. Uh, it's a bit unusual that we've ha- we've it's the same, basically the same pool for the last three World Cups. Um, the European one qualifier most likely will be Georgia, so we'll get them again. Um, and then the final qualifying winner, we're not too sure who that will be, but it's it's um, pretty yeah, last pretty year similar. it was Samoa, so. Uh, last World Cup, it was summer. So it could be we have two Pacific Island teams that we're playing against, which would be combative, but capable. I mean, the fact that we're drawn with Wales, who are one of the top seeds, means we avoid England, South Africa and New Zealand in the pool matches, which is fantastic. And as the other tier two teams, I would much prefer... Well, I, I guess we were in pool two, so we're not going to get France, Ireland or Japan. Um, so it really works out quite well for us. It's probably the best pool we could have hoped for despite the fact that it's a bit repetitive, you know, we're going to have Wales, definitely Fiji, definitely and likely Georgia, but I'm okay with repetitive if it means we've got a better chance of topping the pool. Yeah. I mean, the, the only other thing would you could say is if we had one of those other big nations in our pool, that makes our qualifying process. Once we get to the, the qualifying stages outside of the pool stages easier. So if we were in the same pool, say as England, we wouldn't have to meet them in the quarterfinals. Um, mm. But and we might meet Japan or Argentina in that situation. But it depends if we top the pool or not. The reason why we met England last time is because we didn't top our pool. Um, so, yeah, yeah it's, it's good. I think this is the best news. But, it, I mean, realistically, it's three years away. So it's going. To, there's going to be a lot of water under the bridge, a lot of changing fortunes within the teams. Um, Wales have been struggling with the change from Warren Gatlin to Wayne Pivak. They've struggled to execute on the new style of play that he's putting in place. Um, Fiji are really well placed with a setup under Vern Cotter yeah. to be improving over the next few years. So they may well be an even bigger force to contend with come then. But that being said, it also means that Dave Rennie is going to have an extra three years with the crop of young quality players that we have coming through. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for it. It's going to be a great pool. Looking at it, which one would you claim is the pool of death? They're all pretty tough. One. They're all pretty yeah. tough. So for those who haven't actually seen it, we'll just quickly run through it. So yeah, Pool cool. A yeah. currently has uh, New Zealand, France, Italy, America's one and Africa one. Pool B... Which is probably Af- which is probably going to be America and maybe... Who would be the Africa one? Zimbabwe? Uh, or Uganda. Uh, no, sorry, not Uganda. <laughs> Namibia, maybe. <laughs> Namibia. Yeah, okay. Keep going, sorry. Pool. Uh, pool B, South Africa, Ireland and Scotland with Asia Pacific qualifier one and Europe qualifier two. Pool C, Wales, Australia, Fiji, Europea, Europe one, (laughs) final qualifier winner. And then pool D, England, Japan, Argentina with Oceania one and America's two, which is probably going to be Canada in pool D. Mm. Yep, most likely. Um, I mean, it's it's a good spread. I think pool A is going to be pretty tough, particularly having France uh, as the host nations. But New Zealand and France together have proven... France is New Zealand's bogey team when it comes to World Cup. So I don't think they're going to be too happy to be in the same pool as them. 
But I so hope that it's France, New Zealand as the opening game of the World Cup. How good would that be? In saying that, though, it would, and that would be a great opener. They might be happy that they get to play them in the pool because it means they can't trip up against them in the qualifying stages. Yeah, true. Because if they if they do lose, they still get out of the pool. They'll finish second. I don't see Italy or any of the other nations really tripping up New Zealand. Although no. we don't know. Argentina did beat them this year. <laughs> yes, but Argentina are far better than Italy. So yes. I really doubt that yeah. any team is going to trouble New Zealand except for France in that pool. I think Pool B will be an interesting one that potentially has the biggest uh, fight really for that second qualifying spot. Yeah, yeah. South yeah. Africa will be pretty easy to get out of the pool as the, the number one ranked team. But Ireland and Scotland, I think they'll have a good crack at each other. And then we might get it. I mean, Samoa, Tonga, one of those Pacific Island nations in that third spot or fourth ranked spot. Um, they could put a bit of a challenge in as well. Mm, mm, it's good. Very excited. I think that, yeah, A, oh no, probably D is pool of death because you have three teams who would expect to qualify. Uh, so Japan and Argentina now would both be expecting that second place position. England are going to top the group almost definitely. And with when you look at all the other groups, Scotland, whilst they're brave and whilst they are a decent team, I think they would want to be getting out of the pool stage for group, pool B, but I just don't think their chances are as strong. And Italy really has no hope of getting out against New Zealand and France and Fiji. Well, hopefully they can have someone else to sue if they don't get out this time. <laughs> oh my gosh that is a good point well um why don't we move on because we have a lot to talk we about later in the pod and uh we want to just quickly run through some of the other news points yep. so there's a bit of talk about james o'connor potentially moving to the chiefs um supposedly he's approached new zealand uh not new zealand he's approached rugby australia and the queensland reds to talk about letting him out of his two-year contract with the Queensland Reds early so he can get an experience in Super Rugby Aotearoa, mm-hmm. which is pretty big news. I mean, the expectation would have been that he'd be hanging around. I mean, at least he's still within the same hemisphere, <laughs> which is a, a good starting point. Yeah, I don't like this. I don't like the, this at all. I, I don't know whether to really think about this as solid news yet. We haven't heard anything. It's kind of rumours. And mm. it's a lot of it is coming from New Zealand, saying that James O'Connor wants to come across. Uh, when we, after we recorded the pod last week, there was a little bit of uh, panic that came out on Twitter that said that James O'Connor was being wanted to go over and play in in France for I can't remember what team it was. Was, was it, it Toulon? Toulon maybe? or yeah? But when we actually read the article that was sort of going around, it said they want to sign him. So there's a little bit of talk in the in the world of rugby at the moment that everyone kind of wants James O'Connor. I don't. I'm hoping that this isn't necessarily true that he doesn't want to sort of up and leave Australian rugby to go and play in New Zealand because he thinks it's going to be so much better for him and all that kind of stuff. But it's worrying. It's definitely worrying. It makes me like, we were so happy with the progress that James O'Connor had made on like a personal level that he'd revitalized himself and come back as this more mature, more settled sort of leader for the Wallabies. If this is true that he is sort of eyeing up a, a switch to to go and play for the Chiefs because he thinks it's just going to be a better comp than playing in Australia. Well, that just reeks of old James O'Connor, the selfish kind of player who's only thinking about himself there. Yeah. I mean, look, I am not taking it as strongly as that. I think there is an extent to which it is justified that a player wants to challenge themselves in a really tough competition. And whilst Super Rugby AU does have its undoubted positives, 
you can't deny that Aotearoa is a more intensive competition and a higher quality competition. So I can understand him wanting to um, challenge himself, particularly considering he's 30. He probably doesn't have that many years left of playing professional rugby. So he wants to have as many experiences as he can. But I guess we need to temper all this with the fact that it's one article in New, Ze New Zealand Herald by Liam exactly. Napier yeah. and we don't have anything official. So yeah. we'll, we'll uh, it's that annoying thing of we need to wait to find out more before we can really cast any judgment or make any strong opinions about it because we just don't know enough at this point. I will just say it does open up a bit of a, a can of worms, really, that if he does is allowed to go over there, the, the report is that he's spoken with Rennie about wanting to do it. So who knows, maybe Rennie's going to change the kind of approach that Rugby Australia currently has and relax those eligibility laws that if you're playing in super rugby anywhere, knowing that now it is just Australia and New Zealand, you can still be picked for the Wallabies and we might see some players move across, which could be a good thing as well. I actually have no issue with that. If yeah. they're playing in New Zealand or Australia, I don't see the issue with them being eligible because I don't think there's going to be a huge player drain because it's not like New Zealand money is particularly better. The yeah. benefit that they have is the IQ that they bring to their teams and to the way they develop players. Yeah. So some players going across who are maybe in the early stages of the Wallabies career or are just Australian citizens and going across and just improving for a one or two year deal before coming back to Australia. I actually don't mind that at all because it's not like they have massive flight times that they have to sort out if they're coming back to represent the Wallabies. Um, I, I don't mind it. Yeah. And, and now that we've got the trans Tasman competition too, we're still going to see them play against some of Australia's yes. sides. Yep. So yeah, I, I don't think it's as bad an issue as it was previously, but mm. yeah, we'll see what happens. Okay, a couple of quick points just want to roll through. Nigel Owens, Welsh referee of This Isn't Soccer fame, <laughs> um, is retiring from international rugby. So he has just claimed in the recent Autumn Nations Cup uh, 100 test matches officiated. Uh, test, yeah, 100 test matches. Yep. So congratulations. He's an absolute legend of the game. Um, some people will... Some people bag on him because he can seem like he is trying to take center stage with some of the ways that he acts or not acts, some of the ways he communicates with people and players on the field. But one of the things that he is, is a man of integrity. If you listen to the, um, the good, the bad and a rugby, when they did interviews with him and he went through some of his life story, the challenge he's, he's had with his sexuality and how it nearly led to him taking his own life just the, the road that he has traveled to get to where he has been is incredibly inspiring and he's just a good human being. Mm. So I'm really going to miss him on the international stage, although he'll still do another year or so of pro 14 and Welsh competitions um, until he officially retires. Yeah. You know, I think I, as a junior referee in, in Australia, I, I really look up to Nigel Owens and I really respect the way that he has that communication with the players. He's very open. He's very approachable and he has, he just has a way of handling those difficult sort of scenarios that happen in games of rugby with players doing the wrong thing really, really well. That players respect him, he respects them, and there's not this sort of conflict there. And you generally find that the test matches that he referees end up being quite entertaining and quite open sort of games of rugby because he allows it to flow a bit better. Um, I think at the moment, 
he's probably one of the better referees for that in the world. And yep. we kind of seen that in the last sort of Tri-Nations tournament down here, that there was some questionable refereeing decisions. There was a little bit of lack of communication between some of the teams and players and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think he's got a good sort of head for that. Um, and hopefully we can see that sort of transition now into the future with that, um, that coach referee coaching sort of role that he's going to be taking up. Yeah, it's exciting. And I hope he uh, enjoys his time looking after his cows and the farm yeah. whales as well. So good yeah. on him. Um, now, interesting one. Mac Mason, the perennial outcast of Australian rugby, or at least Waratahs rugby, uh, has been signed by the Austin Gilgronies over in America. Um, now, it's not that big a news, but it's just interesting to note that Mac Mason is having an opportunity to play some uh, professional rugby. So good on him. Uh, they, I went to the Austin Gilgronies website and they have like a one minute uh, highlights trailer but if you actually know what you're looking at you'll see that the highlights span across like four years or five years of super rugby and take a couple of little extracts from the one or two games he played a season so, yeah uh, and some of it's from schoolboys. um no not schoolboys. uh under 20s playing for australian under 20s level so they, they've had to search far and wide to get a highlights package together. But that's not saying much about him. It's saying more about the lack of opportunities he actually received that's right. from a coaching point of view. Um, well, well, team of the decade. Well, before, actually, just before we oh, move yeah. off this kind of... Yep. Another interesting signing that you might not have heard was the LA Giltinis have announced their major signing this week as well, which is Billy Meeks. Oh, really? Oh, I don't, you must you mustn't have, you must have missed that one, Ando. I thought I tagged no, you No, I that. did. But yeah, so... No, I missed it. We were speaking last pod, I think, about this that Billy Meeks had signed on a short-term contract with London Irish, and mm-hmm. maybe he'd be coming back to Super Rugby. We don't know where he was going. It's now being confirmed he's off to America. So, again, LA Giltinis have signed a, a massive amount of Australian talent, and I'm really looking forward to this this competition starting up soon because there's going to be some really good players playing in it now. Yep. How fun. He's a bit of a party boy, Billy Meeks, so I'm sure he'll enjoy the LA lifestyle. Good on him. Uh, well, team of the decade. We only had one Australian play in it. David Pocock picked at number six. Uh, I'm going to put a very controversial point of view out there. I don't think he should have been picked. Oof. The reason why is because if you're not picking him at seven over Richie McCaw, he is not the best six of the decade. So I would be picking Jerome Kano over him at oh, six. Oh, but there was too many there's too many all blacks in it as it was. If we're gonna be I'm... talking about the world team of the decade, <laughs> well it's basically who was the best team of the decade. It was yeah, the, I know, it was the all blacks. but come on, let's share it around a little bit. Nah, a bit no, of diplomacy no. there, um, I think. A little bit of diplomacy there. It pro- it probably was a bit of diplomacy, but if we're looking at it from the best player in a position yeah. over the last 10 years, then if David Pocock isn't beating out Richie McCaw, then I would have been putting Jerome Kano at number six. Fair enough. Fair, Fair enough. enough. Uh, we won't run through that because, I mean, you can go and look it up for yourselves, dear listeners, if you want to check out the World Team of the Decade. Uh, now, there's been a really interesting news development over in England, well, in Great Britain, I should say, where a group of European stars led by ex-World uh, Cup winning forward for England, Stephen Thompson, are suing World Rugby and the Welsh Rugby Union because of ongoing brain injuries, concussion, um, early onset, uh, I think it's dementia, early yeah, onset dementia. Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, basically, 
the repeated head knocks, the lack of care that has been put towards rugby players over the last kind of 10, 15 years, actually longer than that, 20 years, mm. um, is finally coming to a legal head where there, this legal case is being brought towards world rugby. So Stephen Thompson doesn't remember winning the World Cup. He does not remember traveling to Australia. And he's only like 42 or 43 or something like that. And he has been diagnosed with early onset dementia and probable CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, mm. which is the... Um, which is a degradation of the brain that a lot of NFL players have been found to have after they've died. So there was a huge legal case against the NFL commission um, a few years back and huge amounts of money have been spent uh, in, that in that litigation. And it seems that it's finally made its way to rugby, the rugby world. So yeah, what do you think on this one, Mitch? Have you had any chance to kind of yeah, read through? Yeah, I've read through the article. And it's, it's, uh, it's a big issue. I will admit it is a big issue. Um, look, I'm, I'm kind of on two sort of mind minds on this one so the first one is yes i definitely sympathize with these players and it's horrible what's coming out about them now in that these guys are in these sort of in their late 30s early 40s and they're already getting onset dementia which is massive one of these guys has only just got married he's got a young family and he was looking to have further family in the next few years and that's not going to be possible now for him because of the kind of medical issues that are coming from that stem from his time in rugby now we obviously don't want our players to have this kind of life impacting medical issues later in life. Um, particularly, yeah, when they're going into their sort of later years after they've retired from professional rugby. So part of me thinks, yes, definitely we do need to do something about that. And now is the perfect time to do that. The other side of me seems a little bit, I don't want to say skeptical, but just disappointed, I guess, that they're taking um, legal action against the, the unions and sort of putting the blame wholly back on them to say that you didn't do the right thing by us. I, I understand where they're coming from and saying that if you had followed, I mean, it, the other thing is that there wasn't at the time when they were playing professionally, there wasn't as much research done around concussion. There wasn't this stuff known. So it's a little bit hard to then put them, put the onus back on the teams to say, you did the wrong thing by making us train two or three times a day we were forced to play when we were clearly concussed and that kind of thing, when they just didn't have that knowledge or that, um, that stigma around sort of brain injury back at the time. So yeah, I think it's a bit, it's a bit rough for, I don't, I don't see how, where this is going to go. Mm. I don't really I mean, think that the French or the European rugby nations are going to have to be able to pay out massive amounts of money to all these players. I wonder if it's going... So World Rugby have been making changes in the right yeah. direction over the last few years. So the high tackle laws and the introduction of a really strict uh, pathway for red and yellow cards for anything that's deemed high. Yeah, particularly... And been, also the, the HIA protocols of having yeah, to leave correct. the field and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. so th those have been really positive. But when you read this article, um, this is... Yeah. So when you read the article, they talk about how there are things called zero hours contracts that yep. make players play when injured in order to get paid. So basically, if you don't actually have any hours on the field, then you don't get paid. And well, that's forcing players to play through injury because they have mortgages or they have families that need to support that kind of thing. Yep. And also there are so many contact 
sessions within a training week in some clubs and in some teams that there's just no downtime for the bodies to actually be able to recover. So there are some changes that they're recommending, which are really logical. So the reduction or the elimination of contact sessions throughout the week um, during season, because I mean, players don't need full on contact sessions because they already know what they're doing and they can do unopposed sessions instead. Yes. And no, I mean, I, you look at, the team like the Waratahs or the Wallabies even, and even when they're having those contact sessions, they still get out on a Saturday and they can't tackle. So I don't know what that's <laughs> going to do if they're going to get used to just hitting, you know, walking through the motions. Yeah. But I mean, that's something for the coaches to figure out how yeah, to make exactly. it more effective. Yeah. Um, but other like sale over in the UK have been really well known for not having any contact sessions at yeah. all throughout the week. Um, and they're still competing quite well um, though. And, and I think Saracens too, wouldn't really engage in much contact sessions throughout the week but regardless regardless there are also eddie jones has been talking recently about the idea of reducing the number of players on the bench because part of the problem is that the players within the game of rugby are getting bigger they're getting stronger and they're getting faster all three and so what that means is no longer are you looking to find space as a runner, you're trying to kind of beat, you, you have this expectation of beating a player. No, you have this expectation of taking contact, getting quick ball, and then recycling and trying to do something on, on the second play or the third phase or the fourth phase. And did you see that clean out on Stuart Hogg yeah. by a couple of Irish players, what, two weekends ago? Yeah. That was dangerous. The fact that a player can be put into that position and the clearing players are allowed to just run at full pace and throw themselves into it and absolutely blast him off the ball. The fact that he didn't get injured from that was absolutely incredible. So the suggestion that Eddie Jones has been making for the last year or so is to reduce the number of players on a bench. So currently you have an eight man reserves bench mm-hmm. um, and his suggestion is to take it down to maybe a six man bench. So that way you've got the front three, you've got three front row forwards that you need to change over and then one utility forward or maybe two utility forwards or one utility forward and then a scrum half and a utility back. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, the only issue I have with that whole thing about reducing the number of available substitutions is that it then puts the onus back or it puts the thought in a player's mind that if they cop a head knock and they're so-so, so not if they're completely concussed, I think a player should always come off if they're even just a little bit concussed. But yep. it may put the thought in their mind that oh, we've we've already, like I've come on as that utility back. I've just copped a hit in this tackle. I can't come off. There's no one that's going to be able to come on for me in that situation, it may put yeah, that onus yeah. back on them to want to keep playing. Unless walk it the, off. Unless the players who are substituted, if it's just a regular substitution or an injury substitution, are allowed to come back on in the case of a HIA. I mean in the and, current in the current rules you can't. In the current yeah, rules, so the only I think player that, that can come on would be a front row who would then be able to stabilize a scrum. But then yep. in saying that, you'd, you'd expect World Rugby to make some rules around there. I mean another Correct. thing that they need to do as well is just to be a little bit faster on their reaction to HIAs and to, to issues. Like mm-hmm. in the last game for the Tri-Nations with Australia, Michael Hooper comes into that breakdown, cleans out Sanchez, hits him in the head um, and ends up getting a yellow card. Hooper goes off, but it took them about four or five minutes for them to say, or oh, actually of play resuming, Sanchez probably needs to go off for a HIA as well and then send him off about four minutes later. And that's too late because he's had the option, uh, he could have been in another contact and made it even worse for himself in that situation. They need to get on it straight away. Yeah. And that all, all that needs to be is someone that sits on the sideline 
watches all the replay, knows when things happen, say, yeah, that guy has to come off. It just says to the ref, number fours can cast, get him off. Why don't we keep moving? Because yep. I've just realized how long we've been going for and we still have so much to get through. Um, the final thing, which I'll just mention, is the um, Santos Festival of Rugby. So basically in Narrabri, which is in northern New South Wales, in February 2021, both New South Wales and Queensland rugby unions are going to host a bit of a festival with the preseason match between the Waratahs and the Reds kicking off. Uh, and it's going to be three... What is it? A three-day festival? A couple yeah, of so festivals it's a three-day festival. classic Wallabies getting involved. Three-day festival, Super Rugby trial starts on the Friday night. Um, Saturday and Sunday, we'll see a sevens, like an Australian sevens tournament being played, which is like a trial for the sevens team looking to look towards Tokyo. So the Australian sevens team is going to be playing some trial matches against the New South Wales and the Queensland sevens side, as well as the combined Pacific Island Australian side, which would be great to see. And then the Classic Wallabies will also be present doing some um, – drills and train open training sessions and things as well so it's a really good initiative to get both of the states together somewhere a bit rural a bit different um and just yeah bringing that exposure back to to um rural australia for rugby awesome well i'm happy there is anything you want to touch on before we move to the review of the tri-nations don't think so i think we've added on long enough for that let's get into the review all right let's go Right, let's talk some rugby. So we are going to dive into our Tri-Nations review now, um, where we will talk about the amended rugby championships tournament that happened this year, hosted in Australia. It featured Australia, Argentina, and New Zealand. Um, and it finished up pretty much how we were, I guess, expecting, but there was a few sort of curveballs along the way. So Ando is going to go through how the table finished at the beginning, and then we will dive into each individual team. All right, so the table, New Zealand, Argentina, Australia in that order, hence why we're talking about them in that order as well. Each team played four games. New Zealand won two, lost two, but they had three bonus points, which meant they finished up on 11 points overall with a points differential of 64 plus, plus 64. Argentina and Australia both won one game, drew two, and lost one game. So Argentina and Australia both finished on eight points, but with the points differential... Argentina beat us with minus 28 and we had minus 36. So congratulations to New Zealand overall for winning. It's actually well-deserved. They were the most consistent team throughout the competition. And Australia, just the two draws, were in, they were Australia's losses rather than Argentina's wins. But we'll get into that in due course. Mitch, starting with New Zealand, how do you want to begin? Awesome. All right, so we're going to divide this into certain segments. So we'll talk first about the forwards. Uh, who stood out, who did well, who did not. Then we'll talk about the backs again. Who stood out? Who did well? Who did not? We've got some honourable mentions that maybe didn't quite make the, the best or the worst, sort of just in the middle there. Then we'll discuss their overall performance in the tournament and we'll both give them a rating, a personal rating, sort of like the old school system, I guess. A, A plus, B, B minus, that kind of thing. So a <laughs> bit of fun there, but um, it'll be good. So let's dive into New Zealand first. Ando, uh, I'll throw this one to you. Who were the forwards for you that stood out in this tournament? Look, I really just wanted to identify one particularly. There are more I could talk about, but the player that I think came into the series with a lot of pressure on his shoulders was Sam Kane, and he really, really stepped up, both with the nature of his leadership throughout the games, but also just with the general work rate and ethic, work ethic that he had throughout the games. His tackle count was just immense throughout. So in the first game, 
that we drew over in Wellington, so 16 all, he had 25 tackles and didn't miss a single one. In that technically, game. that game doesn't fall in this tournament. Oh, you're a good. That's a good point. <laughs> okay, technically, you're right. But either way, it's still we'll, within the we'll international count it. window. We'll still count it. Thank you. Um, I've just actually got every single game that international <laughs> up on my browser right now. Um, but if so, what was the first one that counted? Was it Australia's win over them that counted within this competition? No. So it was Australia's. Record loss. Record Sydney. loss. Yeah. <laughs> the one I've conveniently Let us slow right three or oh. the first game of the Tri-Nations, How which was Sydney. Um, well, regardless, throughout, having a look at some of his stats, his defensive statistics have just been absolutely immense throughout. He has led the line both in break. Like some, some of the times he's come off the field just absolutely streaming blood and turned up to the press conferences like with staples in his forehead or just dried blood all over his face. Or just like tape, bit of tape that's just covering up but it's not doing much job. No, it's not doing much of a job. Um, so I, I was just really impressed because there was a lot of talk prior to this international window about how the All Blacks were going to adjust in the post kind of Kieran Reid era. Um, they'd lost a lot of experience. It was a team in a really significant transition for New Zealand compared to what New Zealand rugby normally goes through. And he provided some level of stability. I don't think he was perfect. Uh, I think his comments about the New Zealand public not knowing what they were talking about were ill-advised. And I'm sure the New Zealand media manager had very firm words with him after that interview. But yeah, Sam Kane was one that really, really jumped out to me. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I've got Sam Kane as my number one as well. I thought... Yeah, just echoing what you said, the, there was doubts as, about his captaincy going into this tournament. I still don't think he's the best captain New Zealand's had. No. And they've had some really good captains in the last few years. So, the bar's really high, but he's done well. He did well. He, he let his performance do the talking, which I think is the biggest thing. He didn't do anything particularly of this tournament that shown that he wasn't capable of being the captain for the All Blacks. So, I think that was a good thing. Um, overall, for the forward, for the forward pack, I've actually got three players and it ends up being their back row. I think yeah. their whole yeah. back row has been really, really stable this tournament and it's just going to show that these three guys will be the future for the All Blacks. So, Sam Kane, Akira Yuwani and Artie Sevilla. Mm. Or Sevilla. Yeah. Um, all three guys were just absolutely momentous and just didn't stop the whole tournament. Well, it's an interesting one because I agree with Sevilla and Kane, but if you think about it, um, Akira Yuani only came in for, what, the last game and then had 20 minutes or so in his debut run that was game. His, that, was the, that wasn't their last game. That was the second game. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So either way, he didn't get much game time yeah. because um, Frizzell was chosen over him to begin with but i think once he was chosen that that back row was yeah. deadly they were strong they were abrasive and they provided a level of defensive steel that new zealand doesn't always have that's right the yeah. f- like the thing about new zealand is they're pretty good but if you can match them in the forwards they're beatable exactly uh but these guys were immense i was really really impressed with the level of play yeah and i think their early losses in this tournament against Australia and Argentina were, you could attribute those, the, the lack of forward pack and, and pilfer ball and sort of stability there mm. to the reasons why they started to lose their way and lost yep. those games. Yep. But I think when Akira Iwani came on and he he allowed Surveyor to do a little bit more in terms of running the ball and, and being that kind of loose forward, which I think was really important. He still took over some of the sort of pilfer role um, that Sam Kane was doing so well. So together, those two really sort of controlled the ruck and Surveyor was able to kind of get 
a bit looser and a bit wider and, and run the ball a bit and scored some good tries from it. So, yeah, all three of them together will be, I, I think, is going to be their, for, their, back, their back row moving forward. Yeah. And I think that's a strong back row. That's a, I don't really know who you would be changing to bring in to make. Yeah, I mean, I wish we had a settled back row at the moment, <laughs> which we unfortunately don't at the end of the tournament. But um, yeah, yeah. So I think that move. Well, did you have anyone that was an underperformer for you from the forward pack? Um, from the forward pack, I think Scotty Barrett let himself down. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in my kind of honourable mentions as a joke. Okay. Uh, because I just love the fact that he got sent off. <laughs> and that's in the game that we beat them. It seems that it's obviously that correlation that Scotty Barrett does something dumb and then we win the game. Um, well, he didn't get sent off. He got a yellow card. He got a yellow card. Yeah. Got a yellow card. Uh, so, yeah, Scotty Barrett, I just thought that brain fade was just indicative of he didn't seem to bring the consistency I would expect from a player of his caliber. Mm. And I know that that's a fairly ephemeral statement. Like, I don't have much backing that up. But <laughs> when you just think of the players that he's replacing, particularly someone like Brody Retallick, he's just your everywhere man. And that's always going to be a hard title to live up to. But you were looking for Scotty Barrett to do that because Patrick Tupolotu was in there to begin with based upon his Blues form. Mm. And he was okay, but he wasn't able to transfer that super rugby form, or super rugby Aotearoa form into this. And... Yeah, I just don't think the lock combination. Sam Whitelock was industrious as always, but I didn't see Tupolotu or uh, Barrett stand up the way I really, really wanted them to. That's the interesting thing about kind of the locking position is if you've played well, you generally don't stand out. Yeah. Because you're in the malls, you're in the rucks, you're doing the the dark and dirty stuff that no one really sees. Mm. If you're standing out and people are noticing you, you're probably not playing well, you're doing something wrong. Or you're playing in a way that differs from the regular. Exactly. So... Our example is Rob Simmons. He, mm. When he plays well, people don't really notice it because he's just going about his business as always. But yep. when he's not playing well, yep. he's dropping ball, he's missing tackles, he's just he's kind of a passenger. Mm. I think that goes... Yeah, exactly. Is uh, That's what Scott Barrett kind of has stood out to. He's just not been his, his best in this tournament. And we'll talk to it in a little bit when we get to the, the backs more so, but... I think the Barrett name this whole tournament has been a little bit yeah. not as good as we're kind of expecting it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, I mean, well, why don't we move on to the backs? Well, I just oh, want, before we moved off, I just want to say, my um, underperformer was Dean Coles. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. I think particularly that first game that they played against Argentina in at Bankwest Stadium mm-hmm. when they lost the game, mm-hmm. he just let, he let their niggle get to him. Yeah. So did... um. So did TJ Perinara, and together those two just kind of lost it and were never able to get back to their sort of calm, stable self. But from that point on, I think it became more of a, a talking point around the fact that he is able to lose his cool and not just his rugby, and yep. that became a sort of a feature of the tournament for him. So, yeah, he wasn't doing what we normally see. He wasn't sort of taking off for those runs and scoring those tries on the wing that he, he was doing in Wellington. So, yep. yeah, a little bit underperformer for me for that one. But um, I think that's enough around the forwards. So let's move to the backs. Who stood out for you? I think the two players, and look, it's really hard with New Zealand in that I'm going to say these two names, you're going to go, yeah, sure. Like, duh. So Smith and Moana. And the reason why I'm saying Smith is because we saw within that game against Argentina where Perinara lost his crap and he got sent <laughs> off into the wilderness for the next week, uh, had this like moment of spiritual revelation or something like that, and then came back onto the bench in the following game, following couple of games. He, there is a massive step down from Aaron Smith to Perinara or whatever. Yeah. 
and whilst Paranara and Weber are very good players, they're just not at the class of Aaron Smith. No. And so the the accuracy, the speed, and the commanding presence that he provides on the pitch, like the high-pitched barking and yelling he just does at every mall, every line out, it must annoy the heck out of you if you're on the field <laughs> listening to it. Um, but it's Well, just, it's enough of an incentive to do your job because yeah. you don't want to be yelled at yeah, like that. Exactly, exactly. Um, what game was it where... Was it against Argentina in one of the last... The last the game final in game, Newcastle? Yeah, where Aaron Smith... Um, Argenti- yeah, Argentina has a break. And there was this one camera shot that just tracked Aaron Smith the entire time. And the amount of effort he put in to get back to cover up for this half break. And it was his final tackle that pulled the player down yeah. about a metre before the line and New Zealand were able to then hold off. Which yeah. is just... It just shows the effort that he particularly goes to. He was operating at a full 100% in that moment. And yeah, so he's for me. And then Mawanga, I'll make this one quick. Mawanga, in my mind, has solidified the number 10 jersey. And that was the question going into it. What are they going to do with Mawanga and Barrett? And I think the question is now, what are they going to do with Barrett? With Bowden Barrett. With Bowden Barrett, Um, yeah. So the question is, where, where do you put him? And I think the answer has to be 15 or... Utility play. bench. Yeah. Utility bench. And I think, yeah, that, that leads me into my point perfectly. Like, Moanga has just taken that 10 jersey and made it his own. When mm-hmm. they moved Barrett into 10, it just every the wheels fell off. The yep. backline just, for whatever reason, just didn't seem to have that go forward anymore. Yep. They just lost all cohesion. So, yeah, for me, I, Barrett has to play 15. And mm-hmm. I think in the last few years, he's pl- he, this year particularly, he paid played more 15 for the yep. Blues than he, yep. I think he played one or two games at 10. Yeah, because Otara um, Black was playing at 10 for the Yeah, Blues, so whether he, he really was well. injured or I think it was more just giving him some rest because it's yep. been a big season. Um, yeah, but I think Foster and the coaching staff still have this idea of a dual playmaker. Mm. Well, that's what they had previously. Yep. That they could play both of these guys in that 10 position and get away relatively unscathed. Yep. But for me, that didn't work. Mm. I don't think Barrett is a 10 anymore. There's still a lot of talk saying Barrett's the best 10 in the world. No. But, no. yeah, for me, no way. No. Yeah. Um, like, Owen Farrell is yeah. up there, definitely. Well, he's not always playing um, 10. No, he's not. Um, depends on when if Ford's in the team. That's but right. If they're going forward, Farrell access, Farrell gets pushed out to 12. Yeah. But I think that, um, yeah, when you have Jack Goodhue at 12, he's really starting to develop his game and get a little bit more nuance in his playing style. So he's not as much of a crash ball merchant as he was previously. Yeah. He is developing more of the ball playing style, almost kind of Conrad Smith-esque. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been really impressed with his development. Um, sad that he cut his hair. <laughs> but either way, he's been doing really well. And Probably what the I best think... decision he made all year. It's horrible. <laughs> Boo. Not a fan. Should have kept it. Not a fan. Should have kept it because it was so bad. <laughs> um, so yeah, what do you do with Bowden Barrett then? He's got to play 15. He's got to play 15. But or... He's got to play 15 or he doesn't play. Or he's on the bench. I what do you do with Jordy Barrett? I wouldn't put him on the bench. I don't think he's a big enough utility player. You wouldn't play him at wing. You so he's 10 or 15. He's 10 or 15 or he doesn't play. Geordie is more of a utility back in my mind. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's shown that. Yeah. I don't see Barrett having the pace that Geordie has to finish off a, a move on the on the wing. I don't know. When he turns the afterburners on. You saw it in some of the Aotearoa games when he was he was joining the line after a turnover ball. So, um, Yeah, there's that a, one of those early games. Oh, I remember yeah, seeing he, that. Yeah. He skims people badly. But I still would say Geordie's faster. I don't know. That's a good question. But they've got Who's some faster? pretty big wingers. Yeah, they do. So they've got Severis and, 
and Clark as well. So, yeah, for me, I don't think you play him anywhere but 15. Big call. Okay. That's 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 me, Coach. Okay. Um, Any other backs you wanted to mention? Yeah, I was really impressed with Caleb Clark. So, he started off the season really well. He probably Mm -hmm. started to drift away a little bit towards the end of the tournament. And I would say a lot of that comes down to the coaching Mm -hmm. of him, where there was a lot of hype around him when he first started that f- those first few tests against the Wallabies. Everyone was sort of touting him as the new Jonah Lomu and it would kind of like give it to, to Clark and he'll get us a few meters. Yep. The Wallabies quickly learned not to kick to him, which was good because he just ran over about four blokes and set up a try. But after that, it kind of, it really did seem like they, their tr- it was one of their go-tos to get the ball to Clark. And yep. when Argentina actually got up in his face and shut him down, he didn't quite look as potent anymore. Yeah, and I think that's what the teams were recognizing is you've got to get to him as soon as he gets the ball. Yep. If he gets up ahead of steam. And just get situation. a few players on yep. him. Like Argentina always had two or three players yep. just take him down, make sure you get him to ground. So in the games where he was really damaging against Australia was where we just weren't able to execute our kicks properly and we're giving him way too much time to actually just receive the ball. Yeah. And as simple as that sounds, it's just the truth of it. We weren't playing properly to to negate his skill set. Yep. And yeah, he was actually one of my honourable mentions insofar as he started the season fantastically, but then really tapered off. And I've heard Morgan Tourneau talk about this a lot when you have kind of new players who are in a debut season or first first couple of seasons mm-hmm. where um, they actually have pretty significant dips in form. And there are some other players I want to speak to about that as well. I won't say their names yet, but... They start really well, they they burst out onto the scene and then they either get figured out or they just don't have the capacity to maintain the consistency of performance that yeah. an, an experienced campaigner is able to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I still felt he played as one of the better back in their back line. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there were some different games where they were under the pump and they weren't performing well, for particularly for a New Zealand side. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I still think he, he honoured a mention. So before we move on to the honourable mentions, did you have anyone that was an underperformer in the back line? Um, I don't think Anton Leonard-Brown was particularly fantastic. Yep. Um, he just didn't really seem to me to have the, the impact or the incisiveness that I would be expecting from him. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's down to the fact, well, maybe that's down to the fact that they played four games. Two of them were against a fantastic Argentinian defense. And even in a game where they pumped Argentina, it was due to Argentinian dropped balls, which gave them yeah. break two breakaway tries. Like yeah. It's not as though the Argentinian defense crumbled under New Zealand pressure. It's just no, they it made wasn't. a couple of mistakes that New Zealand did a really good job of capitalizing on. Yeah, so I just didn't think their back line was particularly... Like firing. Yeah, firing or deadly. Particularly to the extent that we come to expect of New yeah. Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't think Jordy Barrett was did that much. Either. Well, he was out of position. Yeah, I know. And that's so, the thing. I, like, he was on the wing a bunch of the times. So yeah. I just don't rate him as a winger. Exactly. Like, yeah. Anyway, so there's a lot that I could, be, I could say there, but I'm not a huge expert on New Zealand players, so I don't want to go into too much depth. Yeah, the them. only other person I have that you haven't mentioned is Rico Iwani. I yeah. wasn't too impressed yeah. with his no. performance either. I mean, there's a lot of talk around his try scoring <laughs> technique. And he's, he kept doing the one-handed put-downs even after he dropped it. I mean... You know, you, oh. you just got to shake your head at that one. But regardless of that, I just still, he he didn't really do that much in this tournament for me. So again, underperformer. I remember um, playing touch footy back back in the day when I was about 23 or 24 or something like that. Yeah. And a guy came who played, um, he was either first or second grade rugby. So he was, he, was, he was decent, but he was a really nice guy. Can't remember his name because it was so long ago. <laughs> but he got 
and this is a very casual Sunday afternoon game with some mates. He he broke through the line. Nobody was going to catch him. And they're like, yeah, mate, it's all good. And you got the try. And he's like, he ran all the way and dove down onto the ground with the ball under him. And as he's running back, I'm like, mate, why'd you bother? And he's like, you play the way at training that you're going to on the weekend. Yeah. So when I make a break, you finish the break. And at the time I was like, Whatever. It's just a game of touch, mate. Calm down. But now I kind of see that, and I see that within uh, what Rico Iwani did uh, with the one-handed put-down that he drops, and then he's doing it again. I just couldn't understand that. It makes me think that there's this little, little element of professionalism that's needed within that. That I want. I don't want to read too much into it. Yeah, I mean, there was a few things that came out this year, and another one before we move on was uh, the Artie Sevilla mouth guard incident. I don't know if you heard about this. Vaguely. Yeah. Me. So. Um, the New Zealand rugby players sign a contract that says they are representing the nation of New Zealand. They need to be setting an example as, as the best players in the nation. And part of that is that you wear a mouth guard when you play. Now, there was two or three games this season where he wasn't clearly wasn't wearing a mouth guard. In world rugby, it's not a requirement. It's not mandatory to wear a mouth guard. It's highly recommended. In New Zealand rugby, it is. So okay. it, it was found out that he wasn't wearing one and he got disciplined. He got fined and he got sat down and they had a massive t- chat to him. Yeah. And he there was a big media thing around making sure he wore a mouth guard and all this kind of stuff. And yep. Yeah. And just another thing. Just it's just a simple thing. Things. Because yep. what also came out through this was that early on in his career, he was fined for exactly the same thing. Oh, so okay. he knew it was a thing. Yeah. It's not like he was just, this was yep. his first incident. But it's just little things like that are starting to mount up. And when Sam Kane's also saying things to the press that's sort of putting their fans down and just the the professional outlook of the, the All Blacks that have been like yeah. this best team in the world and this, you know, perfect outlook. The poster years, boys. The uh, poster boys yeah, of, the, yeah. of the game. Yeah. It's starting to crack. It's starting to crumble. Yeah. And I mean, look, you look at Sam Kane's comments. They're actually not that bad when you watch the full press conference because yeah. the question is something to the effect of what do you say about the um, hypercritical reactions within New Zealand press and media and stuff like that about New Zealand's performances and he's like well just goes to show that some people don't fully understand the game because blah 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 but then they just take it down to saying they don't know what they're talking exactly. about and that's and, the media and that's that's the media thing and he's got to be smarter than that he's got to be more just can't give them anything that yeah, can correct. be turned that can just be cut off yeah yeah. Yep. Um, why don't we keep going then? Are we at the honourable mentions? Yeah, we yeah, are. Cool. So the other one I wanted to mention, I mean, I said it earlier, Sam Whitelock. He was a machine in both his defensive and attacking um, levels and efforts. He was consistently among New Zealand's top performers in regards to runs and metres made, at least amongst the forwards. And he just was very stable within New Zealand pack. In my mind, they just needed somebody with a lot of the changes, particularly partnering Tupolotu for the large part of the season in the locks. They really, really needed someone to just be consistent, and he was their man. How about nice. you? Any other honourable mentions? Yeah, my honourable mention goes to Will Jordan. So we only saw really? a, we only saw a tiny little bit of him in, in the uh, international rugby playing for the for the All Blacks. He came on and he scored those two tries. And yeah, they were gift tries. They were gift though. tries, exactly. Now, that's yeah. why it's an honourable mention and nothing oh, okay. more. It just goes. It shows that he has that potential to step up and be a good player on yep. this stage, yep. and that he's also willing to back himself. Yeah, it's okay. pretty. It's pretty gutsy to attack the line like he did twice mm-hmm. to go for the intercept. When if he doesn't get that ball, it's a try. 
under the posts for Argentina, okay. particularly on your debut. So I know he's he's had a good Super Rugby season. I was just impressed to see him get his debut for the All Blacks this year. So that's why he's an honourable mention and nothing more. <laughs> nothing more. Nothing <laughs> more. So from an overall performance point of view, because um, we'll do that before we get into the ratings. Yep. I just okay. New Zealand very obviously won a competition. And they are to be commended for that. I just think they lacked a bit of consistency and the um, efficacy of previous New Zealand teams. They seem to struggle to have a clear game plan on how to break teams down if the teams weren't making lots of mistakes. And we all know New Zealand's strength at capitalising on turnover ball, but when that doesn't happen, what do they do? And I just wasn't as sure that they had the answer for that. Because in a couple of the games, obviously the ones um, a bit earlier on in the season where they lost to Australia, or the um, first game of the season against Argentina, or first game of the Tri-Nations against Argentina, they played a really narrow game. And so they'd only be doing one or two passes out from the previous ruck. Whereas previously what they would do is they'd actually almost play from side to side of the field and stretch the fence. And then using the disorganized or they manipulate the defenders to create an overlap or backs on forward situation. They just didn't have that, that organization within their attack that they had previously. Um, There was a clear difference in their second game against Argentina versus their first game where in the first game, like I said, they were playing within kind of 15, 20 meters of the rock. The second game, they're stretching them all across the field and it resulted in tiring the Argentinian forwards out, making them, getting a couple of early tries and enforcing Argentina to chase the game. And I don't know, there was something about this New Zealand performance throughout the season or throughout the competition that just did not... If I was a New Zealand supporter, I would be happy that they won. And that's great. I mean, I'd love to have won as an Australian supporter. <laughs> um, but with the standards that New, Zealand, New Zealanders have of their team, I just wouldn't be... Yeah. I, I just wouldn't be convinced yeah, definitely. of where they're at. Yeah, no, for me, this this tournament's shown that there's actually some cracks mm. showing in this New Zealand side. So, we went into this competition uh, drawing for their first game of the year with the Wallabies on home soil that everyone was shocked about. I mean, the Wallabies very well could have won, yep. probably should have won that game yep. from that kick. They were the team with the the potential to go for it. Um, and uh, they, they showed at Eden Park that they could come back and, and put some points back on the Wallabies, but again, that was more Australia being poor at certain areas than New Zealand being particularly good. Mm. Um, then they went on to play Argentina and again, got beaten. So, And then when they played us again in Brisbane, we beat them. For me, it just goes to show this team is definitely not the team we've seen of the All Blacks for the last few yep. years. Yep. They don't seem to have the leadership. They don't seem to have... They don't have that ability to bounce back from adversary. So when the teams get ahead on the scoreboard early, they don't seem to settle and just know that they can just grind it down and they'll get the points and they'll get the win. Mm. Multiple times this through this Tri-Nation series, we all sort of said to ourselves, oh, they'll come good now. We, we expect that second wave to come and they'll just start scoring points, but yep. it didn't really come. Um, it was only really against the, in the Argentinian game where they really broke the shackles and had those two turnover tries. But in saying that, that was Will Jordan scoring innocent yeah, tries. True. Like yep. That blew the scoreline out pretty much. And I guess that wasn't like a, a well-worked team try. It was no, an opportunistic. That was opportunistic because, yeah. as I said before, if, mm, he doesn't, mm. if he doesn't get that intercept, they score that point. Yep. They score those tries. So, yeah, I don't think this team is as good as it should have 
we were expecting going into the to this tournament. Yep. Um, there's some massive questions around players, around combinations, and around kind of leadership yep. in this team. And I think if I was a New Zealand fan, I'd be worried, particularly thinking or looking that they're going to be playing some other teams like England next year. South Africa, again, have just been announced today. South Africa is going to play them twice next year. Um, so, yeah, I'd be worried if I was them. They're, they're, not def- they're definitely not the level that we've, we've come to expect of New Zealand over the last few years. Yep. I really pity um, Italy because they are going to be hosting Italy for two matches in a mid-year, in mid-year test. Italy are just going to get destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. Well, and Desma's going to go and coach Italy. And, <laughs> <laughs> no, Checker. Checker's going to go coach. How incredible. How incredible. Um, okay, cool. Uh, have you given... That was your base. That was my overall summary. performance. And so what's I your ranking we'll move into our We haven't our done rankings. We haven't yet. So I'm going to give them a C plus. Yeah, okay. I was a B plus for them. Um, did you want to elaborate on that at all? No, not really. I just wanted to, like, C-plus <laughs> for me. I mean, they did what they needed to do. They won the tournament, but yep. they really only won on bonus points. Okay. So, if you break that down, that's probably something we'll talk about briefly later towards yep. the end of this sort of review section. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think we all expected them to come out and win all of these games quite convincingly and probably wrap the tournament up second or third round in, but mm-hmm. it didn't happen. Okay. So, C-plus. Okay, cool. Argentina. Argentina. All right, so I might start. Go um, look, the best forward in my mind, I didn't want to say Matera or Kramer because... Because I've got them. You've probably got them. Yeah. So I was trying to be different. <laughs> um, for me, for mine, it's actually uh, Julian Montoya. Okay. So he he's a hooker, right? Yeah, yeah hooker. Yeah. And he was consistent in the quality of his performance throughout the competition. He was hard edge as a defender. Didn't really do much in attackers. Most hookers don't. <laughs> and he... Oh, we got to try, didn't we? Too. we got to try, didn't we? Um, and he also was really, really impressive with the way in which he was competing at the defensive rocks. So he didn't always get a lot of turnovers, yeah. but he was consistently slowing the ball down yeah. and was really hard to remove from those situations. And Legally if, or illegally? Yeah, let's not bother with that one. <laughs> now, I just... It was just good to see because Argentina's front row depth is not particularly great. And so the fact that they changed a whole host of their team um, and yet they kept Montoya in there, I think is speaking volumes about the experience and the um, quality that they yeah. uh, have within that team. He's also a real leader. Um, I was reading some of the comments about the um, Matera text scandal yeah. of Twitter scandals, which we might speak to in a little bit. Yeah. Um, and... Ledesma was speaking about the fact that everybody was kind of going to Montoya as a person to talk to about it and how he was only getting like three hours sleep a night in wow. the week that that happened. And then he still put out a really uh, decent performance in the final game of the season. Right. So it just shows the kind of, not, not essentially the character of the man, but just the bloody-mindedness to but keep they going. They still didn't go to him to captain the side. Well, that no. Last test. no, they didn't. Yeah. But probably because he's going to be getting replaced. Yeah. Often you don't have the captain as a front runner. Actually, that's not really true. Anyway, who cares? Let's move on. True. Okay, so he was my best forward. Um, so you're going to talk about Matera and Kramer? Now? Yep. <laughs> so they're, they're the two that I went for. Uh, I don't I don't think you can look at this Argentinian side and not name Matera. Yeah. He has yeah. to be their player of the tournament. Yeah, I, I didn't name him because I guessed you were going yeah. to. So 
yeah, I was looking at this team and I was like, I don't really know who else to name apart from that. So well mm. done to you. Good job. But yeah, he like every part of his game was near flawless yep. in this he was just so out. Of, he was enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. He attacked. He didn't miss any of his tackles. He made. He made so many uh, turnovers. It was. He was a pest. Yep. Um, but you know, I love to watch him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you've really got to give it to him. And he was such an inspirational leader for this side. Yep. It's quite disappointing what ended up happening towards the end of the, the tournament. Yep. But um, I guess we'll, as you said, we'll chat about that later. Um, and then the other one for me was Kramer. So mm-hmm. yeah, he, for me, he. I didn't really know too much about him going into no, into this yep. this tournament, um, but after the first few games watching him, whenever there was any kind of niggle or off the ball pushing or anything, he was always there. And yep. at first, I was a bit like, "Wow, this guy's a real hothead. He just needs to calm down a bit." But yep. I don't know. I just he stood out to me. Yeah, and it, it wasn't just it wasn't just that though. But he was he was making his hits. He was making his tackles. He was just being dominant around the park. He reminds me of the Argentinian Justin Harrison. Yeah. You know, just that pest, that mongrel, yeah. that guy who you would hate to play against but love to have on your team. That's right. That just gets in the face and pisses off everybody that you're playing against. That I, I He really reminded me of that. Kind of like an Argentinian Jack's pot geeter as well. Yeah. He just, he never seemed to go over the edge. I mean, his yellow card for the tackle on James O'Connor, I thought was a bit harsh. Yeah. But he just seemed to really be consistent with the quality of his play and the extent to which he never really made any major disciplinary mistakes either. Yeah. And that was just sloppy. That yep. was just sloppy and, and unlucky on his part. So, yep. yeah, no, I was really impressed with him. Did you have anyone that was an underperformer? Um, I wasn't particularly impressed with who was the replacement nine or who were the nine. Well, that's the back. That's the back. Yeah, that's the, the back. So hang on, we'll, we'll, we'll hold up on. So that. no, All right, let's move into the backs then. So, um, for you, who was your kind of standout back? Sanchez. Yeah, Sanchez. I don't. That's the thing. I hate being the person that just picks who everyone else is going to be picking. Yeah. But the fact was that without Sanchez, that back line is impotent. Well, I mean, without Sanchez, they don't score any points. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they don't draw against us twice. Yeah. So yeah, Sanchez is the most important player in the back line and without him the Argentinians do not really have a functioning back line yeah. um, even having players of the quality of like Cordero and Imhoff and stuff like that they yeah. basically did nothing yeah the whole competition outside of him and yeah. that was that was one of the things that we saw and what was really a testament to this Argentinian side is they they kept in the game because they applied scoreboard pressure yeah correct but they never really were able to score points. In, like they went to score tries, they didn't make a whole lot of line breaks. That first game against New Zealand, they played quite well, yeah. Um, and they did make a few line breaks there. But apart from that, they were pretty sort of standard left to right kind of play, tackle, keep move, keep the ball moving. But they were pretty like they they would they didn't score too many tries. Apart from that last one against Australia, that was a bit of a runaway. Um, yep. that was probably more Australia's lack of tackling prowess than anything. Yep. Um, so yeah, at, without Sanchez, they they look kind of poor. Mm. The only other player for me that stood out was um, Buffelli, so their fullback, yeah, or re- replacement fullback Emiliano Buffelli. So he did what he needed to do, and yeah. I thought I'd just throw him in there as, a, <laughs> as you as know a name of another yeah, player. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. So one of the things I just want to quickly touch on um, with some of the, in a way, like the honourable mentions is. The scrum half situation, once Kubeli went down injured early on in the international window, they had, who was it? It was um, 
Iskura. Iskura. And crap, where is the other guy? Bertrano. Bertrano as the two. And neither of them were particularly good. No. The accuracy of their service was left so much to be desired. Yeah. Um, it made me really thankful for our scrum halves, even like Jake Gordon's coming onto the field and yeah. people are crapping all over him. Like he was, he was serviceable. He can pass he passed, the ball. He passed the ball accurately. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just, it, they really didn't have any impact. Yeah. The nines had essentially no impact on the game. Well, I also think that that really hindered their ability to make their back line to have any yep. impact as well. 100%. So one of the things, I mean, I kind of am shifting almost into my overall performance comment here. For, so I'll, I'm happy to skip my comment later. But they really lacked any attacking incisiveness. Mm. The Argentinian forward pack was not was resolute and strong in defense, yeah. but didn't really offer anything in attack. And the back line, apart from a couple, like two, well-worked plays. So the first one um, in the game against first game against New Zealand where Sanchez has a chip over the top. Fantastic. Brilliant. Insightful. Yeah, but well that's, that's but it's the luck. That luck that's of individualistic Exactly. Well. And that's, that's my point. Yeah. And then the try in the final game against Australia where there's yeah. the rolling mall and just it's a well-worked play down the blind side off the yeah. rolling mall. Okay, well done. Two, two good tries. One of them opportunistic. The other one off a good platform for dominance. Good platform, but again, yep. opportunistic. And yeah. it was a one-off player that's made the break. Good yep. good for that winger to be um, following up in there when he, when yep. the nine got tackled. But Yep. But like, I just, they, they had nothing in attack. And the fact that then Australia's lost to them. Well, not lost, but... Well, I mean, we're sitting here saying this. Oh. And when you look at the Wallabies, we weren't much better. Yeah, I know. So let's hold on to that. <laughs> um, so Plus from houses. an overall performance, defensive, um, defensive integrity... And lack of attacking threat is really how you could summarize Argentina's play. Argentina's yeah. play. Yeah, lovely. Did you have any um, honorable mentions? Yeah, Matera and Kramer. Yeah, cool. I was just going to say that. Uh, my, honor- my only honorable mentions were Ledesma and Checker. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Just because I think they just need to be applauded for the fact that they've brought these guys together who have played next to no rugby at all this year, have mm. been through probably the hardest kind of COVID situation that yep. any professional rugby team has gone through this year yep. and come out in their first game, beat the number two team in the world for the first time ever. It's just yep. incredible. So put it down to Checker. I don't know. He was involved. I'm just going to throw his name in there because he was part of the setup <laughs> and he probably needs to be applauded for something from his record the last few years. But yeah, really like Ledesma really brought these guys together mm-hmm. and, and fired them up and got them going. And they they did drop towards the end of the tournament and there were some choices in that last game against New, or their second game against New Zealand where they made a, like 12 changes or something yep. to their starting side yep. was that was questionable for a coaching setup you, mm-hmm. you don't do that and that and the result goes to show that but yep. I mean outside of that he did really well to get these guys together and to the level they didn't really fall away from games like we were expecting yep, from correct. our previews Going to this tournament, we kind of said, you know, Argentina might be there for the first 25, 30, maybe 50 minutes at a stretch, but they'll fall away after that. And they didn't. Yep. They and didn't. that's a huge credit to the whole kind of strength and, strength and conditioning setup as well. I was, based upon what you just said, thought I'd add um, honorable mention to the squad 
yeah. Argentinian squad. Yeah, the, the so, players on the side. Oh, the players on the, the sidelines doing the chanting yeah. and the cheering. It was yeah. fantastic. I mean, in the same interview that I was reading with Ledesma today, he was talking about how there are around 10 players who don't have contracts for next year. And there were a bunch of players that weren't even getting paid to be on this tour. They were having wow. their expenses covered, but they weren't being paid because there just wasn't enough money within UAR. Um, yeah. Argentinian rugby to right. be able to pay them so they don't have a contract and they haven't been paid for the last few months despite having their expenses covered so the fact that they've just been consistently performing at training and um, so these are players who didn't get onto the pitch and they're and all just contributing with the force for next year <laughs> maybe <laughs> yes uh, there's probably a few bench spots that still need to be filled yeah. at the force so we'll soon see uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that another time yeah next year next year when we do the previews of all the different teams um Okay, so do you want to quickly do your overall performance and then we'll just say our ratings very quickly? Yeah, I, mean, I think we both sort of got the same thought around this one. Yeah, that sure. Attacking prowess just wasn't quite there. Yep. But they held in. They did what they needed to do. They got some good victories and some good draws against us. Mm-hmm. So for me, that I'll tie that directly into my rating. I gave them a B plus. Yeah, okay. I'm a B minus. Yeah. So I thought... And the interesting thing is people could look at your ratings and say well you gave argentina who came second to be minus but new zealand who came plus. first oh sorry b plus but new zealand is c or yep. c plus whatever c it was plus. and go how come you've got a rating but i think it, they're relative to the expectations of the different yeah i mean i'm going back to the coming in to our preview of the tournament coming yep. in we expected new zealand to be unbeatable yeah and they showed that they weren't yep. We expected Argentina to be the easy beats, and they, again, they've shown that they weren't. Correct. They were the only team in this tournament that proved that proved to be a challenge. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Australia was all that challenging. To I mean, they got beaten. Uh, to be fair, they did play quite well in Brisbane, but apart yep. from that, yep. Argentina was able to draw with them twice mm. and got quite heavily defeated in Sydney. So. Yep. I think we've just proved never play a game of rugby in Sydney or Newcastle again if you're in New South Wales. Actually, New South Wales. No, take them all out to Bank West or something. We didn't play that much better there. Yeah, true. It's a good point. Okay, well, why don't we shift to... What was yours? um, Mine was B minus. B minus. Yeah, cool. B minus. Let's shift to Australia now, hey. Let's do it. And spend about an hour talking about Australia. Well, we're about an hour in already. Oh, God. Let's get into (laughs) this. Okay. Let's make this quick. Um, Best forward, go. Harry Wilson. Okay. Matt Phillip for me. I've got a few of them. So I've got oh, um, Harry Wilson, Matt Phillip, Taniel Tupo, uh, Angus Bell. So you're just naming um, the entire pack? I'm naming the Waratahs mostly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm not naming the whole pack. Um, Wilson, great. He did really well. This was yep. his debut season. And he did not look out of place in the national scene at all. Like yep. he was matching up against Surveyor quite handily. So yep. really impressed with him. Philip again, was the kind of second row player that we needed mm-hmm. unfortunately it's unfortunate that he's going overseas next only year for one only year, for a year and then he's coming I, back i will say that yes yep. but it is still unfortunate because he can't build on that yeah correct i mean he'll go off and play in a different environment and a different competition different level of rugby yep that kind of thing maybe he might be back in time to play the <laughs> later the tests people that gets called back i don't know if that's happening next year i think yeah, that was a covid thing i wonder if it was only this year yeah if that gets extended, you would guess that he's probably going to be someone that's called back because of how be. well he's done this don't year. Don't call back Simmons, please. Don't call <laughs> Simmons. <laughs> please call back Simmons, please. That'd be the best story ever. Um, Tupo, <laughs> just, you know, I love watching Tupo play, whatever yep. he does. Yep. Destroying scrums, going for little breaks down the side, massive tackles. You know, he he's shown this tournament that he has the ability to turn games on their head mm-hmm. as well. He's that impact player. Yep. That's where we need to see him play going Agreed. forward. Uh, outside of that, Swinton I had as well on my list. 
Yeah, we only cool. saw a little bit of him. Yep. Unfortunately, he did cop that red and got banned for the rest of the tournament. But he really showed something that we haven't seen in that back row yet. And yeah, I think correct. that is what Dave Rennie's looking for. Yep. So, yeah, I'm excited to see yeah, him continue. Agreed. Agreed. And then Angus Bell, because again, I said going into the tournament, going into this tournament, the preview, I just didn't think he was quite up to international level yet. Mm-hmm. But he came on the few games. He came on a lot earlier than anyone was expecting, and he yep. he held up. He did yep. quite well. So yeah, again, really impressed with Bell. Yeah, my main I only identified one forward and one back, and for me, it was just Matt Phillip. He played. Well, did he play every minute of every game? He oh, all yeah, close to. Uh, I can't well, remember Salakai who. Loto. Maybe maybe he got subbed right. off a little bit for a couple of Very games. Close but either to. way, he was really the central player yep. within the pack in that he was the line-out general. And our line-out was pretty strong yeah. throughout, except for some dodgy throwing, but you can't really blame that on the, on the caller. On the jumper. Um, yeah. And the jumper. He was just industrious, did everything that we wanted him to do, was effective at clearing out rucks as well. I was just really happy that with the lack of depth that we had in the locking department coming into this season that he was somebody that really stood up so massive kudos to him yeah nice who were your underperformers for the Ford pack um i was pretty disappointed in a way with taniela tupo just Ooh, in, come on no 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 he was so good hear me within this no i've got a i've got a bit of a man crush on Tupo. yeah so. yeah no it's fine i've got a man crush on richie mulunga's facial about hair everyone <laughs> this is true everyone any anyone that plays now with Taniela, I just I think he needs to stick to being an impact sub off the bench because that is the role that he is the most effective at within the team. I don't think what he brings across 50 minutes differs massively from what Alatoa brings across 50 minutes. And Tupo's inability to control his temper when he got subbed off at halftime was just to me a mark of inexperience or it's a lack of maturity the only way. thing i would say to that yeah is that last point is that he does he has shown that he can get riled up yep and if he is a reserve player and he comes on is giving away penalties you can't sub him yeah yeah but i mean it's gonna be and less I, of an opportunity I think with that's 30 why, remaining. i think that's why um rennie put him on the bench so what he put him on the bench because in that Argentinian game, oh, yeah, yeah. he yep. was getting riled yeah, up. Yeah, he correct. was giving away penalties. Yep. He pulled him early. Yep. I mean, he does. Pr- he has proven that he does be a bit of better impact on the game coming on later. Yep. But if he comes on and he's just lost his head and he's giving away penalties, he gets a yellow card, you've got no alternative. Yeah, but I mean, look, you're minimizing that by bringing him on in the final 30. And if you're that worried about him doing that, then you don't pick him. Yeah. Like, like that's, that's all I'm saying. Yes, that's yeah. the... I get that. Just I throwing a little um, thing in there for you. For me, the best back, Hunter Paisami. Yeah, cool. Hunter Paisami. He is was consistent. He proved me wrong, who didn't think he was going to be a decent 12. No, I rated him um, going into the tournament as well. I rated him as a 13. I just yeah. didn't rate him as a 12. Well, he hadn't played there. Yeah, yeah. And so he made that transition once Tamu got injured really, really effectively. And whilst he hasn't nailed it down, you would expect once Tamu's back, he will take 12. Yeah. Um, Regardless, Paisami was very good and full credit to him for adapting to a role that was unfamiliar to him and for growing throughout the game. I don't think he's 
the finished product by any stretch, but he did better than I thought, and he was pretty consistent. Yeah, and one of the things that was mentioned in the commentary in the last sort of game or two games uh, was around the fact that he adapts his game really well, and he actually goes off and works on things. Yep. And so he's told what he needs to improve, and he goes and does it. Yep. Um, and we've seen that just in this short tournament alone. So yep. that's really promising as well. Good on um, the other player I had was Reese Hodge. Yeah, now, okay. I'm not saying he's the best back we had because he was still a little bit patchy, but he showed... I, I don't think going into this tournament, we thought that Reese Hodge would be our number 10. And, <laughs> no. Or our, our third or fourth choice 10 or whatever it ended up being. But he slotted in so many different positions in this back line and he did really well. Yep. So I, I've got to give him kudos points for that. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I think for me... Um, Actually, no, I'm happy with that. Let's, let's just stick with that. Honorable mentions. Well, any underperformers for you in this backline? Um, for me, it's Nick White. Okay. Nick White was an underperformer. He was fantastic in some of the early matches, um, particularly when he's really taking control of the direction of the game. But in the, the problem that I found was just a lack of consistency. In, in the game that we won against New Zealand, yeah. I mean, I know it's gone in the Tri-Nations, but anyway. No, it was. Oh, no, it was. It was. This is the first... Yeah, the okay. Second game. Second game. The yeah. Now, the game that we won against them, like, that, he was... The majority of the play was coming off him. And Reese Hodge... I think I've got the stats up here. I'll quickly find them whilst I'm chatting. But Reese Hodge hardly touched the ball at all as a playmaker at number 10 in his first run out. It was all coming off um, Nick White. And that just goes to show the ability that he has within a game to just control the play so yeah nick white had 49 passes to reese hodges seven <laughs> within that game and if you remember the majority of the players coming off him if you even go back to the first game um in wellington yeah. where he had a blinder of a game yeah that was absolutely fantastic and for him in that game he made 84 passes 14 runs to make 56 meters so he has the ability to really control the game. But what I don't understand is how he can then just go missing well, week to week. And I wonder if that's a tactical or a team-based decision. I Yeah, I think it's a personal thing. Um, and it goes back to just looking at the year that he had. Mm. So he came off the international season with Exeter. Yep. Uh, and then came to the Brumbies. And because of COVID and the season got pushed back, he actually got to play a few games off the bench for the Brumbies that he wasn't supposed to. He's meant to join them next year. Yep. So he's actually had a really big season. He's yep. kind of had two back-to-back seasons and then come into the Wallaby setup and they're relying so heavily on him. And how old is he? Is he 25, 26? Oh, look it up right now. He's not 21. He's one of the older sort of heads in, in the Wallabies team at the moment. So I just think it's probably towards the end of the year, he's just getting tired. Oh, he's 30. 30. He's 30. There okay. we go. So he's 30. So like that's a big ask. It's a pivotal role. You need to be on all the time. Um, I, 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 the reason I don't, I haven't labelled him as an underperformer is because I think he did enough in those games where he was on to show that he's capable of it. Yeah, yep. And um, I would agree with that. I, yeah. I just me yeah. saying he's an underperformer is saying that I wanted more from yeah. him on a consistency level. I'm just hoping that when he has a good off season now, he gets yep. a good season of just Super Rugby AU. Yep. And then this trans-Tasman competition and then can just focus on the Wallabies. Maybe that'll just do him a world of good and he can just he knows where he's going. He knows where he can focus. I mean, I can imagine it'd be quite hard yep. coming back from Europe thinking you're going to have a bit of a break, get thrown straight into Super Rugby. Because from what I remember, he arrived back on like a Wednesday afternoon, was training on the Thursday, and then somewhat Lonigan, I think, got injured. So we ended up playing that weekend off the bench. 
that's crazy. <laughs> and it didn't hasn't yep. stopped all year. So yeah, yeah I, I'm thinking next year hopefully he can just get a bit of break and, and get that transition really well. Um, for me, my underperformance were Lalesio. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, that first game he, of his in Sydney, he just did not fire a punch the whole game. Yep. Unfortunate. It's not the debut you want. He, yep. Up against a firing all black side as well. Unfortunate. But he also really didn't show a whole lot outside of that when he came on. He had a few good touches in that sort of the sealing off that game in Brisbane, but not quite as much as I think we were all hoping off his Super Rugby AU form. Um, outside of that as well, Jordan Pattaya. I yeah. Just, yeah, big time. I, I, poor guy. He's just injury prone. He seems to be just completely lost in his own head at the moment. Goes wandering, has a few poor touches early on and just can't seem to bounce back from it. Yep. Um, I just don't think he's ready for this level yet and yep. this kind of pressure that's on him. For me, honourable mentions from a positive sense go... Uh, I want to put Ned Hannigan out there as well. Yeah. And partly it's because I love Ned Hannigan. But partly it's also because he did pretty well. He wasn't that bad. And all the haters of Ned Hannigan, I think... If, if people are still hating on him at this point, it's because they just... They're just, just hating him for the sake of hating they're him. They're just hating him for the sake yeah. of hating him and not hating him based upon his performances. Yeah. Now, he wasn't a game-breaker. He he didn't, obviously, kind of blow the world apart with the skill that he demonstrated, but he pro- he's proven that if you're expecting... If you want someone with work rate, line-out efficiency, and good ruck involvement, he's your man, and he's going to do that job for you, and he'll do that well. Uh, so I just wanted to put that out there. And I think Harry Wilson as well, he really dropped off at the end of the competition in my mind. But again, that's to be expected from a young player in his debut season. And a long and, year. It's a big oh, year, brother. a very long year. So huge credit to him for the consistency of effort that he put out. And also the fact that he played a game after being hospitalized the week, like during the week with yeah. the virus. Yeah. And he plays that weekend oh, with and the puts in like injury, 50, yeah. meters, yeah. 50 minutes or something like yeah. that. So I'm really looking forward to next season overall with the Australian team. But, I mean, let's not sugarcoat things too much. Yeah. I'll get into my overall performance comment. Australia lost. The, we came last. Yeah. And we lost our home tournament. We lost a tournament, played in Australia, and we weren't great. We had one game that we were good in, and then one game that we got smashed in, and two games that we should have won but yeah. didn't control and play effectively enough. Now... There are some mitigating factors. Obviously, losing your ten, your most experienced players, your ten and twelve, early on in even before the competition began. Yeah, before this, um, yeah, we lost. Really, really impacted the team with its direction. I was going to be listing Corabetti and Dunguni as players that really just were a bit disappointing, underperforming. And then I thought, you know what? Some of it isn't their fault because. The distribution never really reached them or got them involved in the game. There were I mean, you could argue, of, though, that Corabetti dropped a lot of ball. Yeah. Like, he didn't get a lot of ball, and when he did get it, he dropped it. I think it's because he was working so hard to push the opportunities. That, anyway, yeah. anyway, that's not the point that I'm kind of making. Yeah. The point overall is that we weren't great. We locked a, lost a lot of attacking direction with Tumua and O'Connor gone, and we just weren't able to make up for it. I mean... Losing two clear playmakers and then putting Paisami and Hodge in as their replacements. They did a job, but they're not an effective replacement for them. Um, And so who are your playmakers in the team? Genuinely, who are your playmakers in the Australian team without O'Connor and um, Tamua there? We've got Uh, Alessio and Will Harrison. Yeah, but I mean, when they're not on the field, who do you have? Nick White. Yeah. That's it. 
that's genuinely it. He's yeah. the only one that's making plays. Uh, so it ju- it just meant that we were really hampered. And in a way, I actually wish they just stuck with Alessio because at least then you're blooding another 10, an actual clear-cut playmaker. Now, I understand why they put Hodge in there, and I get it. And, I mean, it was somewhat vindicated with the win over New Zealand. But I just, I, I'm not confident that it was the best from a long-term yeah. perspective. I mean, we could argue back and forth about this all night. Yeah. I was going to throw a few barbs in there, but I don't think I will. <laughs> Thank you. It's quite late. <laughs> it's quite late. Um, okay, so that's kind of my thoughts. What about you from an overall performance? Yeah, look, it, we needed to be better. Mm. We needed to perform well where rugby is at the moment. The yep. boon that it was for us to get the, na- the, the hosting rights to this tournament and the fact that we were in the media around the whole Stand 9 deal... Rugby was kind of back on the agenda. People were sort of thinking about it again and they put in these performances. Some of the stuff that we saw come out of this was a lot of sort of bashing of the game in general from league fans. Yep. That is really not what we want right or need right now. I mean, if it helps, I don't really care about the opinions of league fans. <laughs> I don't mind if they like rugby union as well, but if they're just here to crap on the sport, then they yeah, don't care about what no, they have exactly. to say. But it was uh, it was quite prominent league fans, mm. uh, league people that were swaying yep. the view of the game. Yep. Um, yeah. Anyway, back to the kind of point. Like we we lost Tamua and we lost James O'Connor early on in the tournament, and as you've as you've mentioned, we we didn't recover from that. Nope. But in saying that, there were some decisions in, around the coaching of the the team and some players who got opportunities and some players who didn't that really sort of don't sit quite right with me. So the, when we performed well in Brisbane, we had a lot of the Reds players on. Tate McDermott came on, Liam Wright had a crack, yep. um, Fraser McRight had a go, all these guys off the bench. We didn't see them again. Yep. And it just doesn't make sense to me. Like you look at them and they've come on, they've sealed out the game against New Zealand. We won it. And then we don't play them again at all and we go backwards. It just doesn't make much sense why we didn't see these guys. Yeah. I mean, you often saw that in the way that Eddie Jones first, when he, when he first took over at in England, so with the national role there, yeah. he he churned through something like eight different back row combinations, yeah. eight or nine different players, searching for the players for the style that he was looking for. And it's only now that he's settled on Underwood, um, Underhill, mm-hmm. Curry, and Vinopola. Yeah. So it's taken him four years to get to a combination he's really happy with. Yeah. And I just wonder if we're seeing with Rennie that cycling through to see whether or not the players are what he wants them to be or can, they can perform. Maybe we'll get a chance later, but he, he was just using this as an opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And I get that. And this is this is what he needed to do. He needed to get as many of these players a crack and see how they performed on this stage as possible. But mm. those two games against Argentina was where we really needed to take the tournament by the scruff of the neck and yep. put in a good performance and we weren't able to do that. No. So there's still some massive questions against the Wallabies at the moment and against... Like, this coaching setup should be performing a lot better than they are. They haven't had a massive amount of time together. So I'm being optimistic and like to think that we can go off, have a good off-season, get into some good prep for Super Rugby AU next year, and then just get that continuity flowing, get that communication between the Super yep. teams and the, the national setup, and then just give it a real hot crack next year. But, you know, we were hosting this tournament. This was the best chance we had at really getting our name out there, knocking off the big guys, 
and performing really well and we didn't take it. Yep. So for me, it's disappointing. Yep. Um, and I've given them a C. Yeah, I've got a C minus. I just really wasn't impressed. Yeah. Um, I was reading an article, someone describing the final match of the season as Chica-esque. Well, Chica was coaching. Yeah, I know, but my point, my point <laughs> of it being like, they were playing with the manner with issues with um, discipline, poor handling, poor execution, and that kind of was something that characterised the final matches of Chica's tenure. Yeah. And to see that again from the Wallabies team makes me just question whether or not it's a coaching issue and whether or not it's a quality of players and their capacity I to I mean, the only issue. thing, the, the, the shining light for me is that Dave Rennie came out after that game and was quite open around his assessment yep. and laid out the areas where we were poor and we all knew that and that yep. was one of them. Yep. Discipline has to change. We have to be better. We have to be smarter. Yep. So I personally do think that it's just a kind of mindset that the players are in mm-hmm. and Rennie will get it. We'll get it out of them. He just hasn't had the time yet. Yep. All right, mate. I'm happy to finish that there. Perfect. Um, I had one final sort of curveball question to throw at you. Should oh. I do it or should we not? Yeah, let's go quick. quick okay. Quick, quick. Um, what's your thoughts around the bonus points setup of this type of tournament? Uh, so basically, you're asking the question of so in, the, in this New current Zealand tournament, having lost two games still wins a tournament. Exactly. So yeah. the, the what comes out of this is in this tournament, you have to score three more tries. Then yep. your position to get a bonus point. Or finish within seven if you lost. Or finish and, yeah, and you get one bonus yep. point then. Yeah. Um, what ended up happening going into that final round of competition, or I think, yeah, I think it was the final round. If one of the teams had won it, Australia or Argentina, they would have been on the same win-loss ratio as New Zealand and yet would have lost due to the bonus point. Right. No, they would have had the same points but needed to improve the win-loss ratio. That was it. They needed to beat their op- op- opposing well, if, team by yeah. a stupendous amount. But if so, if we look at the scenario, then if Australia, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just my question is: Do you think that we need a bonus point in a tournament like this that is going to be so tight? For me, I don't think we do. I think it's kind of pointless. We don't need to be in t- incentivizing teams to score tries in a test match. Yeah, um, I kind of like it. Because it means that a team doesn't give up if they're like 14 points down with five minutes to go. It means they still have something to play for. As in, they can still get the bonus point if they are able to get a try. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mind it because it rewards consistency. So I would much prefer Australia's fighting to get that freaking bonus point than copying like a 21-point drubbing or something like that. I, I, I'm not a, I don't mind. And if you look at it, New Zealand were the most consistent team yeah. across it. Um, I, I really don't have any big issues with it. Cool. I'm happy for it just to say as it is. Yep. Sorry, it's not a particularly dramatic or juicy, <laughs> juicy position I'm taking. Mitch is saying, get rid of it, burn it all down. I'm like, no, it's okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, before we move on to the last segment of the pod, we will just quickly go over our, fa- our fan thoughts. So we did put it out on social media and we did get um, Rev came in and mentioned one thing. So his thoughts were around, he thought Akira Yuani and Clark and Kane stood up for the All Blacks. Yep. Jordy Barrett should be at 15. Centres for all teams and are not settled. Wilson, Phillip and Paisami for the Wallabies were the MVPs. Um, number two, number six, number 12 and number 15 are vital positions that need cementing. Um, Australia missed Tamua. The side will benefit from Super Rugby AU and Trans-Tasman Comp. Yeah, 
pretty, I would agree with pretty standard. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we've had so many questions come up with the Australian team yeah. as a result of this competition. There are so many positions that aren't uh, sorted. But yeah, it's it's going to be really hard seeing. And it, it actually is really good for all of the Australian players in this upcoming competition, the Super Rugby AU, because it means that there are, there are spots to be playing for. Yeah. And we were talking the other day about how um, the hooker position, really nobody has actually nailed it down. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of these, most no, most jersey numbers in the Wallabies team for next year are pretty much up for grabs. Yep. We spoke earlier about James O'Connor potentially going overseas next year. So what does that yeah. do around his selection criteria as well? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've already spoken about that, so we won't touch on it anymore. Yeah. But it... If, I wonder if he's playing in the Aotearoa competition, whether or not that still means he's eligible. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like, does that yeah. open it? That does that then open up the number ten jersey? Mm. If that is to go ahead, mm. it's all speculation. Who knows? Who knows? Um, mate, I gotta go. We'll leave it at that. It's been fun. It's been really fun. So, thank you for this. Um, can we just say thank you to everybody for sticking with us for this year? It's been great to kind of get this pod up and running, and to have the ongoing support from people throughout the entire year we've had a surprising number of listens i think is a fair enough comment we never thought we'd get the numbers that we have but we have and it's been fun to chat to a lot of people along the way so thank you for everybody for your input and engagement and keep an ear out or an eye out for the pod that we're going to do next week and mitch any final closing thoughts from you no i think that's it so it's been a big year of rugby probably the biggest in memory really in some ways um, but I'm looking forward to Super Rugby AU next year and the new Trans-Tasman competition as well. So look out. We'll be back early or late January, maybe early February to start up previewing yep. Super Rugby AU. We're going to do an episode per team. Yeah, just um, sort of get into that hype as we lead running up into it. So look yep. out for that and um, have a good break, everyone. And hopefully the chainsaws in the background didn't come through too much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see everybody. Bye. Bye.